Awesome. Thank you, Trav. Uh, awesome job. I love when our, our youth take over worship. I remember the first time I actually did worship on a stage, and that was back in 1996. Half of you weren't even born. And I was so nervous that I went and hid in the toilet. That is not a lie. That's how nervous I was. Um, I want to say a massive welcome to you if you are new. I want you to know this is a place where you can come and you can discover Jesus. You can come with all your questions, and questions are good. So make sure you do that. And for our online church, I want a massive shout out to you guys as well. We've got lots of people that are joining us with that. Mikey is your online host, and he'd love if you commented as well. And feel free to interact through this, this service as well. We are in a series at the moment which is uh, looking at Romans and tonight we fall on Romans 6. And so just to give you a little bit of an insight, Romans, if you want to open your Bibles or your devices so you can follow along, uh, it's a letter written by a guy called Paul who had a dramatic transformation from hating Christians to loving Jesus and in about 57 AD he writes this letter from a little town in Greece called Corinth to a church to a group of believers in Rome and Rome at this point is the epicenter of the world so you could imagine um, if if Paul was familiar with, with what took place in Corinth what he was writing in regard to all the different crazy things that went on in in Corinth the things that he's writing about, he's well-educated to write to Rome um, as well. And so things like all the different uh, um, careers, all the different people that would join this epicenter as well. And so he's writing, but he's not writing to them, he's writing to the believers that are in Rome at the moment. And uh, I want to give you a, a quick brief snapshot of Romans 1 to 5, um, before we land in six, because um, if you were just joining us or just joining us online, or maybe the Bible is something new, these are critical things to understand before we land in six and then seven and eight and continue on. Because I found in Romans one to five, it's so important for us to understand because Paul lays down an immovable uh, foundation an anchor for our soul that we need to understand before we understand the rest of what he's talking about. And so this is it, quickly. Romans 1 to 5, Paul lays out the gospel and the gospel that he's laying out has a theme which is so unique to all the other world religions and uh, world philosophies. And he's talking, and why it's different is because he is talking about salvation in Jesus is received and not achieved. It's something that you cannot do on your own strength. You cannot uh, earn it through merit, good works. Uh, actually, there's nothing in you at all that can earn it. It has to be received, which is pretty foreign for us in our day and age because everything we do, we have to earn, earn money, earn respect. And the list continues. And so what Paul does firstly in this Romans 1 to 5 is he firstly gives us a very healthy understanding, a sobering reality check into how spiritually bankrupt we really are before God. 
He highlights the the selfishness, the self-focus, the sin in our lives. In Romans 3.20 says this, it says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Sin being doing something opposite to what God has asked us to do. Pretty grim start to a, a bit of a letter, hey? Are you feeling encouraged as you read that? So tonight, even if you are ticking nine out of the ten moral boxes that you've created in your mind, you are still deep in sin. That's what Paul's telling us. And before surrendering our lives to Jesus, the Bible tells us that we are actually separated from God. And as a result, the Bible actually tells us that we are spiritually dead. We have no ticket out. And so Paul paints this. It actually reminds me of when I was a lot fitter, I was surfing a lot more and I had a lot more time before I had kids and then uh, I would surf a lot and this one particular day has been impressed in my mind. And there was a day that I went out and the waves were a lot bigger than what it looked like from the beach. So I was feeling pretty uncomfortable. And uh, so I was paddling around, trying to act confident, uh, I'm not showing my nerves, but the, my worst fear came true. And there's a thing, if, if you surf, it's, like, it's called a clean-up set. And it's this set that normally breaks another 50 metres out. And this day, a clean-up set arrived. And I remember looking at this thing as it grew. And it grew. And it grew. And I, in this moment, looking at all the other guys out there, I realised that they didn't seem to care. If anything, they were making noises of excitement. And they began to paddle towards this wave. And me, being such a professional surfer, did the one thing I should never have done. And I turned my board and I paddled for shore. And as I paddled for shore, I looked over my shoulder and the wave kept getting bigger. And it got bigger. And so my little arms went harder and harder. And then I realised that actually I wasn't moving forward at all, but the wave was beginning to draw me backwards. And if I couldn't express my fear and the emotions in an emoji, it would probably look like this one that pops up. That was me. And as I realised that I had no hope, I just literally turned, sat on my board and I accepted what was coming to me. And this thing pushed me deeper than I've ever been before. It ragdolled me. It reminds me of, of what sin is. We get to this point where we actually realise there's no ticket out. It's got us. It hems us in. But Paul continues in these chapters and he talks about a hope. A hope that, and a truth of the most life-changing truth that you could ever hear, you can ever experience and you can ever receive. Romans 5 says this in verse 6. It says, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. And he continues and said, but God demonstrates 
And I want you to take note of this. It says, his own love. No one else's. But God demonstrated his own love for us. That while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. God, who is wholly righteous, and little Jono, who is completely unrighteous, could not escape. But the truth is, and what Paul is saying in these chapters, if you want to go back and revisit it, is to saying this. Jesus comes and becomes our righteousness. What we couldn't do, God sends his son, Jesus in human form, to die on a cross, rise again, and therefore the believing sinner who places their faith in Jesus finds that Jesus' righteousness is enough. Paul uses this word a lot in his, in his writings, the word justified. And if you're familiar with Chuck Swindell, he puts it this way, he says, justified is the act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous. Where God declares the believing sinner as righteous while we are still in our sinning state. That is a phenomenal truth right there. Dwell on that. In other words, where we were spiritually dead, now because of Jesus, taking his sin, our sin upon himself, we in our spiritual life, no longer separated from God, but in fact, we become children of God. God no longer looks down and sees our sin and its penalty. Instead, he sees Jesus' blood and righteousness. Do you understand, do you, you get a grip of this amazing grace we have? And then we fall into Romans 6. And Paul brings two questions that I'm sure had been thrown in at him many times by people as he was preaching this extravagant grace that doesn't make sense. Questions that I think we still ask today. And it's this, the two questions are Romans 6.1 and then Romans 6.15. The first one is this. Paul says, what shall we say then in response to those five chapters? What shall we do then? Shall we then just go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, if my only hope of forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God is through grace, a free gift, nothing of my own, through faith in Jesus, does that mean we can just carry on living the way we want, committing sin as, as we desire? Because is it really going to change the outcome? And then his second question in Romans 6.15 says this, then what then shall we sin because we're not under the law but we're under grace? And this is what Paul brings as the questions. He says, like, if that is how extravagant grace is, does that mean then we're free to go and do whatever we want? And Paul answers both of these questions very, very clearly. He says this, by no means. The NLT version says, of course not. Of course not. You've missed it if that's the way you're thinking. And then as we read, it's like Paul launches into one of the best halftime talks I've ever heard in my life as he begins to encourage people. 
he begins to point them back to the hope, the victory we have. You know what I mean? It reminds me of a, a halftime talk that would triumph over someone like Wayne Bennett. Or, you know, a, a, a captain's talk when there's a, a team that has been unfairly dismissed with 10 minutes to go and someone's in a sin bin and there's players injured and, you know, the state championships on the line like the Maroons. And Munster steps up and says, I'm sure he wouldn't say anything of this quality. Anyway, love you, Munster. But this is what it says. He goes in and it says, since we have died to sin. He's saying this to the believers, remember. He said, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that we have joined with Christ in Jesus' baptism? We joined him in his death. For when we died... We were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also, what? May live a new life. That is amazing. In Jesus, you have been given a new life. And he continues, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin for when we died with Christ, we, set, we were set free from the power of sin and since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. This is what Paul's saying. And Paul continues to say, well, I can tell you why this is true. Because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has a power of him. Verse 10 said, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives. He lives for the glory of God. Amazing. What is Paul saying when he says that we are dead to sin? Because I know many of us would be sitting in this auditorium or listening online and thinking, uh, I'm more aware of my sin now than I ever have been before. Or or maybe it's like I've I've come to faith in Jesus and I'm actually, you're saying dead to sin, but I, I don't feel like sin's very dead in my life. And what takes place is we, we what? We try harder. We pursue harder. We come from this place of wanting to work things out. So we pursue all these different things. And this is where I think as, as followers of Jesus, we can get so weighed down because we forget about what Paul had talked about and we start to think, well, if I'm dead to sin, that must mean I'm, I, I shouldn't have any sin in my life. But I want you to be reminded about this. Nathan used this illustration this morning. This is what we have in Jesus. This chain represents our sin. And some of these different things that are hanging off me, like... 
anger, greed. I think there's lust there somewhere. These are all the things that separated us from God. They oppress us. They, they weigh us down. And what Paul's saying in the gospel is, is that actually Jesus comes and when he is our righteousness, he takes this sin upon himself. The weight is released off me and given to Jesus. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair to me. But why that is so true is because the penalty of sin was dealt with, but the reality is what Paul isn't saying is when we're dead to sin, we're dead to sin because it does not have a hold on us anymore. The penalty's been done. Uh, Positionally, in Jesus, Jesus is our righteousness and God no longer counts sin against us. But this side of heaven, are we still going to be confronted with sin? Are we still going to sin? Yes. Are we going to experience the pull and desire of sin? Yes. But the truth is that sin has lost its hold. And Paul continues and he says this. But I want you to know this. He said, don't let sin control the way you live. Don't give in to sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. But guess what? Remember, you were dead. Remember you were dead? He said, but now you have new life in Jesus. The chains are gone. They're there. We still struggle with those things, but the penalty of that isn't counted against you anymore. So use your whole body as a result of this, as an instrument to do what is right for what? For the glory of God. It's a privilege. Verse 14 continues and says, sin is no longer your master for you No longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And Paul continues in this. And he says, he answers that second question. He says, well, shall we sin because we're not under the law by grace? Shall we just indulge in it? You know what I mean? Because, you know, the the things that I've done in the past, the experience I had, well, yeah, some have brought really good excitement and, some have brought an identity I never had before and, and some of the things I experienced actually really made me feel alive. But Paul continues and he, along this theme of like, in light of what you've been saved from, he says, why would we? He says this, do you realise that you actually become the slave of whatever you choose to obey today? Whatever you choose to obey today or follow, you actually end up becoming a slave to it. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Verse 17 said, thank God 
Once we were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Tonight, if we're asking the question, saying, well, if grace is that amazing, let's just go, like, can't we just go off and do all the things we want? I think we've missed it. I think we've missed and forgotten the significance of why Jesus died on the cross. The power of the resurrection, why he did it, what we've been saved from and what we've been saved to and what our eternal hope is. Like, why would we make our heart's desire? I think about this for my own life. Why would I pursue something that I've been saved from? Like, why pursue something that I know is not going to produce life? This is what Paul's getting at in his teen talk. He's saying, he's like, look, in light of these things, I'm not telling you now just to go off and do whatever. He says, Look, you've been saved to something so much better. Look what you've been saved from. You've been saved from death. Firstly, spiritual death and separation from God. And secondly, destroying the very person that God has created you to be. And we see it. Sin is doing an amazing job of pulling apart humanity from the way that it should be. And we're crazy if we think entertaining sin is going to bring us life. This is what James 1, 15 says. It says, this is, this is temptation. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us, it drags us away, and these desires give birth to sinful actions. And he says, and when the sin is allowed to grow, when we keep playing in it, it says it gives birth to death. He said, so don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. Paul's giving us another example. If I can give an example of what, it, what this is meaning, it's, let's take an addiction, for example. And addictions come in all different shapes and sizes. But every addiction starts off small and it may not hurt you and it may not hurt someone else. But if you've ever been in addiction or you've witnessed someone in addiction, it doesn't take long until the body begins to crave more, yeah? And as the body craves more, so does the the need for the frequency or the amount to increase, in order to fulfill that appetite. And this is why Paul's writing, it says, you will actually become a slave to it. It will begin to own you. If you take something like wealth, you pursue wealth, you will never have enough money. It become, you become a slave to it. And finally, you realize that the appetite can never be satisfied. And you are forced to do whatever you can to obey that master, selling yourself short financially, selling yourself, crossing boundaries, physical deterioration, and in a lot of cases, even death. 
That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying this may not be to the same extreme, but if we continue to pursue things that aren't of God, we actually find ourselves slaves to them. This is not what Jesus, this is not what God wants for our lives. He saved us from, and now he's calling us out of. I remember thinking of, as I'd read through the Bible, I'd read God's do's and don'ts. You know what I mean? You'd read passages, says, steer away from this, run from that, change this behavior, don't hang around this. And sometimes I would almost think of it as, as this was God's little playground that he would put in place with all these obstacles just to test if I loved him enough. But in fact, actually, these things that God's calling us not to push into isn't to destroy, to destroy our joy or our fun, but it is actually things that will deteriorate our lives. And he's saying, stay away from these things. Follow me, be obedient to me, because I want what? Life and life to the full for you. If I'm your heavenly father, if I've created you, I've created for a purpose. And I want to see you flourish. I want to see you grow. This is why there's that call. It says, stop stop the gossip. Learn to tame your tongue. Don't make wealth the aim of your life. Deal with the critical spirit. Or Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Because none of these things bring life. How do I know that? Who loves hanging out with someone who's critical? Anyone? Like, it just doesn't work. And this is what Paul's talking about. This is what the word of God's talking about. These things that God is calling us to away from where we've turned our back on God and he said, look, I've forgiven you, I've set you free, but now I want to come and I want to begin to change you. And Paul's giving us that warning. Don't keep pushing down that way because I want to give you life. So maybe tonight you're sitting here or you're online and you've been thinking to yourself, John, I, I, I hear you. I agree with what Paul's saying. I so badly want to honor God with my life, but I'm just exhausted trying to break these chains. I realize the, the penalty of sin has been gone, but I want to follow God and these chains are on me. I just can't seem to get rid of them. I feel like I deal with one and then the next one pops up and then that one that I just dealt with pops back up again. This addiction just doesn't go away. I've tried everything possible. Those attitudes, those thoughts that I just think, oh man, I wish I was more loving in my thoughts. I just can't break it. And the reality is you will never be able to break it by yourself. I want you to know something tonight. And we pick it up in Paul's writings. But I was reminded of something um, when my daughter had her fourth birthday just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, at these birthdays, we pull out pictures. And so I got a picture of Sienna when she was born. 
There she is. And I've got a picture of her now when she's four. There she is. And in these moments, we, we begin to go to photos of us, and for some reason, there's always photos of me getting thrown around. And so here was a photo of me, I thought, when I was... I'd show you a bit of a family album. There I am. And then me in kindy, about the same age. That is the scariest Easter bunny you've ever seen in your life, isn't it? Yet I'm still pumped about life in my tight little denim shorts. <clears throat> but what this got me remind, uh, what this reminded me about is actually my birth certificate. And so I, I dug out a birth certificate. Confession, I couldn't find mine. This is my wife. <laughs> so Brie, here it is, if you're looking for it. But the thing that I find interesting about birth certificates, all right, and the ones that come across our desks when we, we do um, marriages and, and things like that, is it tells me that the date that I was born, tells me where I was born, tells me my length, my weight, tells me that I was a male. And then there's this part down here that I always find really fascinating on people's birth certificates. To whom you are owned by, or who gave birth to you. And this, well, not in this case, but on mine it says Trevor and Jeanette Harris. And it got me thinking about this, and I was blessed with a very good family and mentors in that space. But it got me thinking of, I, I had no choice, you had no choice in the DNA and the, the genes in which we were born into. And even as we're, we're doing life, I think you realise that when the scripture says we were born into sin, you probably agree with that. And, you know, as we follow people around, and once again, I was blessed with my parents, so I had role models that I could watch and learn and grow. But as we walk around, we follow people, we end up trying to be those people. And I think this is what takes place, and the band can come up. Is we start looking at all the things of us And we're trying to fight something that we can't win. Like, we couldn't deal with sin. Jesus was the only one that could deal with sin. So why do we think that we can deal with our daily sin and renewal? And I realized that the day that I came to Jesus and finally gave up in knowing that I was still sinful but understood that I was saved by grace and that all that matters was Jesus was my righteousness. He gave me another birth certificate. And I obviously, all I could come up with is a red piece of paper. <laughs> um, but I could just imagine what it would say. It'd say my name. It'd say where that transaction took place. But then it would start to say, to whom? And it'd say, Jesus. It'd say the righteousness of Jesus. God. 
And it would tell me as I went down, I'd look and it would tell me that I'm now a child of God. I'm a new creation. That the old way of life has been dealt with and the new has come. And it tells me that I am set free. It tells me that I'm no longer, my sins are no longer counted against me. It tells me that I'm no longer alone. It tells me that nothing can separate me from the love of God. But it tells me that Jesus didn't just die on the cross and rise again, but actually his spirit, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit then comes to live within me. Tonight, if Jesus is your righteousness, Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And it's a surrenderance to the fact of saying, God, I can't, but you can. And what God is asking us tonight in this is saying, are we willing to surrender ourselves and our own agendas to God for his purposes? And that's even in the face of what you might be dealing with, the sins, all the different things that are going on, but saying, God, I'm I'm trusting them to you, but I'm asking that now you will come by your spirit and you will change me from the inside out because I can't do it, but you can. And Jesus, as you're changing me by your Holy Spirit, I can be sure of my salvation. I can have the joy of my salvation because it's not found in me. And this birth certificate declares it. And the last thing that Jesus wants us to do is to go back into the slavery of sin, but he's actually calling us out of it. He says, remember remember those previous chapters, but I want to encourage you. Don't press in, but actually press into Jesus. Yield your heart. So maybe tonight for you is the first thing is you've never come to Jesus. Maybe you've been relying on a little bit of righteousness to get you through. He says, you've got to come, you've got to die to self and you've got to accept grace. I call it lounging in the grace of God. The second one is this, as followers of Jesus, just as Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, he calls out to us. He says, now we have been recipients of this amazing truth. We've been set free. We're in children of God. Let's not make that our aim to pursue that. Let's not just take a lightness with sin, but actually let's boldly come before the throne of grace and offer our lives back and say, God, here's my life. Here's the mess. Let your spirit convict me and change me. Conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction in its right place points us back to Jesus, the healer of our life. And what Jesus wants to do or what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through your life daily, it may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen in 10 years. You may take some of these struggles to the grave, but what He wants to do is change you and transform you for His glory. And I believe through that as we continue to step forward, and allow His Holy Spirit to renew us and to change us. I'm telling you, I believe you'll begin to get set free. Oppression won't be the thing that holds you back. And I believe people will see you 
and go, there's something different. And you'll say, I'll tell you, it's Jesus. It's not me. It's not my good works. And so we're going to stand all around this auditorium right now. Because Jesus is the only one that can do it. And so we're going to cry out to him. We're going to declare that in our lives, through our families, in the streets, in our workplaces, in our universities, in our schools. But tonight, as we sing this song, I want to offer you the opportunity that if you just know that sin has got this hold, will you come forward, whatever that looks like, and we want to pray for you. We're not praying anything other than the name of Jesus over you. Praying that the Holy Spirit will come and begin to break the chains afresh because when Jesus came by His Holy Spirit, He breaks the chains. He didn't just break the chain of death, but the power of sin. And He wants to begin to change you and renew you and reshape you. He wants to change your heart. He wants to put your feet on solid ground, doesn't He? And He wants to set you on a new path. And then tonight, if you want Jesus in your life, just in this moment with all eyes closed, I'm gonna ask you to be bold. I'm not gonna point you out. I'm not gonna do anything. But between you and God, will you put your hand up and say, Jesus, this is the sign of me saying, I give up and I need you as my righteousness. Any more? Just boldly put it up to say, God, I've had enough. I need you. I've clung to righteousness. I've clung to all these other things, but you are it. Will you say this prayer with me? Jesus, please forgive me. I ask now that you will come and be my righteousness. I offer my life back to you. I thank you that you died on the cross for me, that you rose again, and I accept your forgiveness. Jesus, I offer my life to you for your purposes, in Jesus' name, amen. If you want prayer, I want to encourage you to come. Or maybe you want to just kneel at the feet of Jesus as a fresh surrenderance tonight, saying, Jesus, I'm just consecrating my life back to you. Not, not for salvation, but truly just as an offering back to you. Let's do that. Yeah. 
you've come to redeem, Lord. You've come to deliver us from sin. You've come to destroy sin, to abolish it, Lord. And we can live in a new spirit. We can live in you, have Christ in us, Lord. We thank you for the reality of that. That brings an abundance of change. That is, that is transformation for our lives, great God. And so, Lord, tonight, as we worship you, we do so in you, we do so. Uh, changed people, the, the things of sin, the things of the past, well, they're just a shadow. They are nothing in our lives when we are in you, Christ. And we thank you that you have abolished sin. You have, you have destroyed sin in us. 
And so, Lord, tonight, as we, as we come to understand that, Lord, as we, as we take part in that, we, we take part in your joy, we take part in your peace, we take part uh, in, in the plans, the new plans for our lives, Lord, and we do so with hearts that are full and hearts that are excited tonight. We worship you out of that place, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're going to keep singing. We're going to keep worshiping tonight, but we're going to sing with the fullness of the joy of the Lord in our hearts tonight. We're going to take part in that peace, in that joy. So if you want to come down, I know the youth are going to want to come down and dance and sing. You feel free to dance and sing as we worship our great God um, to finish our service tonight. Let's do that.
for the Switch worship team tonight. Have we got one more song? Yes. I think we've always got one more song. Hey, if you need to head on home, that's totally fine. I think the youth, they're not going to stop until we do one more song. So... Excellent job.
Thank you so much for joining us at our 5.30 service. We're going to have the Connections Lounge open. If you'd like to connect more, or you'd like some more information on what's happening here at Bridgman, or prayer as well, please come down and see the pastor or down the prayer lounge as well. But we will see you next Sunday. Thanks so much.